Uh, if you would, please open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, and we will be picking right back up where we left off last week. Um, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So in this case, we decided to start off in the, uh, the new year of the book of Exodus here, and we're in chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So here we see the starting off here as, remember, this is historical facts, historical um, information to us, not just some story of about Moses. This is actually historical facts of what we can see of the accounts that took place in the life of this man named Moses, but also God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people who are now in captivity per se in in place where God have had them in the in Egypt at this point it's been 430 years now since God take, took them into uh, Egypt and now we see in our story that God is in preparing a, a man to lead his people out of Egypt to the promised land Canaan and in the preparation of that man we saw that uh, you know what we think is, is the ideal leader for his people, it turns out to be very different in God's view. Now, if you remember in chapter 3, we saw two of those five excuses that Moses gave God why he couldn't do what God called, commissioned him to do. He, God had commissioned this man Moses to lead his people out of Egypt to the, pro to the promised land, or I should say out of Egypt into the desert in regards to their journey to the promised land. Now, if you remember, he came up with a couple excuses, and God says, I, you know, these excuses you're giving me, I, you just, just know that I'm with you, really, okay? I know you're saying, who, who am I to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man at that point in time in the known world, who am I to go to him and tell him to let his people come out of free slave labor for the last 430 years to let them just go? Well, because I'll be with you. Well, then what are they going to do when I go to the Israelites, the leaders, the elders, and I tell them, God has sent me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to be your leader to bring you out of here. What, who's going to, what am I going to say? Who sent me? Tell them I am. I am who I am. I am. I am God Almighty who sent you. Now we're going to see three more excuses today. And again, excuses don't work with God. <laughs> we, we come up with all kinds of excuses. But God clearly then shows Moses and he will show us why we come up with these excuses. Why we can't serve God. And we'll see today the commission from God. And we'll see how it applies to our lives as God speaks to us through his word. Now here, Moses in verse 1 gives the excuse. To basically, the elders will not believe and are not going to listen to me, God, when I, if, you, if I go back after being gone 40 years. Remember, Moses is 80 years old now. He was 40 years in tremendous lifestyle. 
He had a sepulcher in his hand of power, making decisions. He was on his way to be Pharaoh himself. And then when he hit 40, then he's, God had just stirred up his heart and that desire. And you know the story. He ends up emotionally responding too quickly, probably. And he kills that Egyptian, tries to bury him. That didn't work. Then he tried to break up two Hebrew brothers. And they looked at him and said, who are you? What are you going to talk to me? Like you, Who put you in charge? And he realized he better flee to the desert. Do you remember that? And he runs to the desert, to the Median Desert there, down in the, uh, this, the Sinai Peninsula of today, near a mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God. And there we see and we pick up the fact that then his next 40 years of his life went from luxury and power and prestige and name recognition and everything that comes with it to now being a shepherd shepherd out there in the desert for 40 years and he was the employee or the servant of his father-in-law Jethro talking to sheep talking to himself in the desert for 40 years and now at age 80 God's commission from him to Moses he brings a full circle back around and says, this is what I need you to do. Now, Moses is ready. Humbly ready to do what God called, commissioned him to do for him, for God. And we see here, his excuse is, ah, what happens if the leaders don't believe me? What happens if they don't listen to me? And he basically is telling God, I do not believe what you're asking me to do. I don't believe it. How could you use me? I'm nothing. I have no more power, God. Remember? I had the power of the skeptical in my hand back 40 years ago. I don't have it now. I only have, I have a rod in my hand. I'm a shepherd. Just a shepherd's staff. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't wrong for Moses to come up with a question or excuse in a form of a question. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? But God said in verse 12, if you remember, I am certainly will be with you. He's just saying to Moses, you know, I understand your unbelief that you're having in this situation that I'm calling you to do. I know you have this unbelief. I know you have doubt in that you can do what you think you were able to do because you've already tried it and you failed. You didn't do it right because you did it in your own power with your own wisdom and your own strength and way. And you failed. And we all fail when we do it that way. But now everything's different. I've prepared you for 40 years to humbly bring you to a point where you are now able to be used by me because you're a broken man. You have nothing to offer. That means you have to totally rely upon me to do the work I've called and commissioned you to do. And so we find ourselves here where Moses, is, as, as these questions are coming out, that he comes up with a third question, a third excuse, and God's promises that the leaders of Israel would listen to Moses. He said, they will heed your voice. Now, amazing. You think about this. God said to you, they will listen to you. 
What else and who else can you turn to to get more confidence than God himself telling you he's going to speak, they're going to listen to you? His word said he, they're going to listen. Then why is he doubting? Why is he doubting what God's called him to do? Why do we doubt God when God shows in his word, his word, his voice says to you, this is what he wants you to do. Why do we then doubt him? He shows you in his word. He gave his word. But here's what's interesting. Not only did God give Moses his word, but notice it was in the form of a burning bush. What an experience they had with God. It's not like you're sitting in your house and you go, I, I'm reading the word and God speaks to your heart and he says, this is what I have for you. I'm commissioning you for you to do. And then later on, oh, did I really read that word right? Did I, I, am I sure I read that right? But it was, maybe it wasn't for me, it was from someone else. And you question, you doubt what God showed you in his word. But God gave him a tremendous experience of a burning bush that did not get consumed by the fire. And then the voice of God came from that bush. How much more of experience do you need to know that that was a God moment? You would think Moses, of course, would understand what's happening. And have complete trust and complete faith in doing what God's calling him about to do. But that's not the case in we see. So what does God do? God to the rescue. God now gives Moses three signs to convince not only him, but he convinces, those three signs helps convince the elders of the Israelites there in Egypt. And he will also use that to then reveal to Pharaoh the power of God. Now watch this. Three excuses. Why is that? Did you, you ever wonder why would God now have to use three signs for Moses for the Israelites? Well, we get a glimpse of that in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Do you know it? For Jews require, request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. See, the Jews, they live by the signs. God, I need to see a sign before I go do this. I need a sign. It's like me, you know, should I have the brownie or shouldn't I have the brownie? And if someone brings a brownie, I know I'm supposed to have that brownie. That's a, it's a sign of God I'm going to eat the brownie. You know, it's just, you know, we jokingly do these kinds of things. But we live by the signs. We have to see it for us to believe it. The Greeks, it was all about the wisdom, right? As, as, I'm very logical. So until I get enough information, enough wisdom piled up, then I will believe and take a step and go do it. Which one do you fall in? Are you one of those people who just needs to see a sign before you'll do something for God that he's called commissioning you to do? Or are you a person that is really logical and you need to get all the facts and everything lined up and in the process so you can see it's all going to work out and get to where you would like it to go? You're no different than, we're not, no different than Moses and many of us, right? Or the Israelites. We need to see a sign. But God sits there and he, he works with us. He's working with Moses and he'll work with the people of Israel. Look at the three signs that he gives him. The first one is in verse 2. And the Lord said to him, what is it that is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it onto the ground. So that he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. In verse 5, that he may believe that God, the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So this is a very valuable principle regarding how God uses people for his purpose. God used what Moses already had in his hand to be able to do what God needed him to do. He had a shepherd's hook. Forty years of work experience out in the desert and you thought, Moses thought that it was a waste of his life out there for 40 years. I've been doing this for 40 years and God, you're saying to me that you can take this rod and do something for your purpose? So what does he do? God shows Moses a sign. He says, take this rod that you've trusted in for your life and for your livelihood. Right? Because that shepherd hook is what beat away the wolves for the sheep. The bears. He saw many of serpents, snakes out there in the desert. And he used that rod to do for his livelihood. And God says now to him, take that thing that's so important, you never left home without it. And throw it down. Okay, God, that's, I'll throw it down. But he did not expect that God could miraculously take that rod and turn it into what? A serpent. And it wasn't a, a, one of those plastic rubber snakes that you get to mess with your kids with when you scare them. When they're young, when they're young guys. You know, the guys do that. It was a real serpent. And Moses knew a serpent, and he fled from it. He was scared of what God just did with what he thought he understood he knew in about his life and what he did for his livelihood. God miraculously did something with it. And it can scare you to think that God could use something you thought you were so familiar with that it would change on you. But then it gets even more interesting, doesn't it? God now tests this leader of his faith and his obedience to him. What does he do? He says, reach down and grab a hold of the head of the serpent. No, the tail. Why is that significant? Because it took tremendous faith. Because this man, Moses, knew that you never grab a snake by its tail. Why? Because you're going to get struck. You're going to get bit. <laughs> There's a guarantee here. But he listened and obeyed and he grabbed a hold of that tail and it became back to a rot. Right back to what he was familiar with. Felt comfortable with. Safe with. So God used this rod to be able to come about and bring about a belief that this is the Lord God Almighty speaking to Moses and it will be used to speak to the elders and to Pharaoh. Not just any God, but the Lord God of their fathers. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you, Moses, and the elders will believe it, and they will hear you, and they're going to do what I tell, you, tell them to do. Now, who else has used what God has used in the hand of someone for God's purposes? Now, remember, Moses had a, a sepulcher in his hand when he was at 40 years of age, had so much power. Why didn't God use Moses at that point when he had all the say in the world to convince Pharaoh, because he was a second kind of second-hand man there, to say, I'm in a position of power. I'm going to take these Israelites and I'm going to lead them out into the desert. He could have, but he didn't, God didn't choose to use the sepulcher in his hand of showing a power and might. He waited 40 years with a shepherd's hook that was the most despised by the people. But think about it. God used a man named David who had a sling in his hand to take down a giant Goliath. He used a mighty man of Samson to take a jawbone of a donkey to wipe out his enemy. He took a young little boy with his little lunch sack in amongst thousands and fed thousands with the five loaves of bread and two fish. God can take what he has you already currently have in your hand what you're currently doing, what your abilities are, what you've been relying upon, and he can use it for his glory. If you let him. If you'll let it go. I don't know if I can let go of that job. I don't know if I can let go of that relationship. I don't know if I can let go of that hammer I've been swinging for the last 30 years. Don't know if I can give up that place where I've always wanted to live or that house that I'm living in. It goes on. Whatever it is that's coming into your mind. But it's God's. It's God's, right? Let him put it down. It may change, but it'll come back. But notice here, that's the first sign. But notice there, that we see, when we get to verse 20, we'll also refer to it as the rod of God. We'll see that also in chapter 17, verse 9. But that rod wasn't just for some experience. Think and know the scriptures. If you know the scriptures, what did God use that rod for in Moses' life later on that we will see? This is the same rod that Moses will part the Red Sea with. This is the same rod that will strike the rock in the desert that will bring forth water that the people and the Israelites needed so desperately. It's the same rod that will be raised up above his head and they will win the battle against their enemies. The rod of God that God may have already in your hand and you don't even realize the value that God sees what he can do in and through your life. 
because of unbelief, because of doubt, because of circumstances. But in this little incident, we see a little glimpse of the faith that God has given Moses by picking up that rod, that serpent, and turning it back into the rock. Just a little bit of faith. The glimpse of how Moses is learning to trust God and to not lean on this, this uncomfortable moments of taking a step of faith. That's very uncomfortable. I've never been there. I'm not going to do that. But he did it. This is very unlogical. I don't take unlogical steps here. But Moses did an unlogical thing by picking up the servant by the tail. But that's the faith that God gave him and can give you and I to do. Now, look at the sign number two. Verse six, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. That's taking your hand and put it in your bosom inside your cloak. And he put his hand in his bosom and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. It was dead. It was white. And he said, God said, put your hand in your bosom again. And so he put his hand in his bosom and again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his, old, like his other flesh. So just like the first sign, these signs were transformational in his life. Took a rod Threw it down, it transformed into a servant, then it transformed right back into the rod. He took his hand, he put it in, it came in, it came out, it was transformed into a leprous, dead life. And then he said, put it back in and I'll give you life back to that flesh. See, these are transformational signs that God is giving Moses to give him and deepen his faith in what God has commissioned for him to do. And it will be the same lessons that he's learning that he's then going to share with who? The leaders of the Israelites so that they too can learn from the experience, these transformational experience in his life that will actually cause them to believe and to listen and to do what God's called them to do. That is how it works, my brothers and sisters. As God transforms your life, it is not just about you. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it to you, it's not about you. That transformed life that he's doing through you is for someone else that God is going to call you to go and share. Or to be a, a light, a witness to those who are watching your life at work or at home or who it may be. It's never about you. It's never about me. It's always about God and someone else. So these are transformational signs that we're seeing here. But look at that God doesn't stop there. Because he's, he's going to bring about a, a consequence or understanding that if you don't listen, if you're not obedient, if you don't believe, there is consequences called judgment. And so verse, the verse 8, look at the sign in verse, uh, verses 8 and 9. He says, then it will be, then it will be, after those two signs, then it will be, if, 
If they do not believe, if those elders do not believe, if the people of Israel and Egypt do not believe, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, the Nile River, and pour it onto the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Notice the difference between those three signs. The first two are transformational signs for not only, I believe, for Moses' life, but also for the elders to take note, for them to believe. Now, notice that he says, and we see it a pattern a couple of times in the verses. Let's do this to see if they'll believe. Or, or nor, they heed the message of your voice of what you're telling them. So, I believe this happens in Christianity today. That you hear his... You hear someone say something from the pulpit. And the question is, will you believe what the, the word of God says? Or will you, or you just heed the voice of what was said? Will you believe it, which will bring action to, to do it? Or are you at least going to listen and go... I'll keep showing up even if I don't believe it yet. You're just not there yet. I don't believe it. I don't have enough information yet. I don't have a, a clear enough sign yet for me to really believe it and take a step of faith and go do it. But God says, I'll work with this, right? Are they going to at least believe it or are they at least going to heed it and still do it anyway even if they don't believe it? So we see here that he's giving them two signs, and if that doesn't work, they need to hear that there is a judgment that will come upon their life. And notice the third sign is not transformational, it's judgment. It's a sign, a simple sign of judgment. He's going to take this good water from the Nile River that in Egypt, their life was based upon that Nile River. That, that nation would not survive without that water of the Nile River. So he's going to go right to the heart of the lifeblood of that nation. And he's going to use that water that's so precious to them. And he's going to turn it to blood. Notice, he does not ask Moses to take the blood on the dry ground to somehow recollect it and put it back into the river to turn it back to water. Do you notice that? Because it's judgment. Now, if we see this, and we look at this, and we see this coming about, notice that that, that judgment is also the very first of the ten plagues that we will get to here as we continue, continue through the Scripture. Now we see Moses, you would think after that conversation, he's like, okay, God, I'm ready. <laughs> no, he comes up with excuse number four. Look at number, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. 
<laughs> now they're getting really Christian-like. Oh, my Lord. I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech and slow to tongue. So excuse number four. I'm not in a very good speaker here. I'm, I'm really kind of slow, and I don't, can't get my words out. My tongue gets tied, and I don't think I can speak clearly. I don't think they're going to be able to understand me. All this fluent speaker thing. I'm afraid to speak in front of groups. <laughs> you know, it's these kinds of things we come up with, excuses why we can't do what God is calling you and will equip you to do. Because God will always equip you to do what he's asked you to do. Now, it's interesting. He starts off, Moses, saying, Oh, my Lord. What do we, it's kind of remarkable if you really think about this. Because God knows all things, doesn't he? He knows his man, Moses. We get a glimpse of Moses. How do we get a glimpse of what Moses was like when he was in his 40s? Acts chapter 7. Verse 22 says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So what happened to the man? At 40, he was a prime and just eloquent with his words and just powerful with his power of his words of going out and can talk to anybody. Now after 40 years being talking to the sheep and talking to himself, he can't talk anymore? Now, I will lean on the side of trying to lead on Moses' understanding here a little bit. He's been out there for 40 years talking to, bah, bah, you know, he's, he's, learned the, the, he's learned the sheep language. And he's been talking in his head for a long time. He may be, this is what the Lord is showing me, he may be saying to God, God, I've been gone for a long time. I don't think I can go back and talk Egyptian language anymore or Hebrew language like I used to. I don't think I'm gonna, I can clearly speak their language that they will understand me. How many missionaries have said that? Right? God says, you're going to name the country. And then they don't, I, I don't know the language, God. I don't know their culture, God. I, do, I, don't know, I don't know New York language. I can't go to New York. I can figure out how to speak Texan if you send me to Texas or Florida. Certainly Hawaiian talk. Pigeon talk, that I'm willing to learn. Specifically Maui. I'm sure you're called there. I think he, he, he came to an end of himself. He, he really was insecure about himself. But God says, I'm not asking you to be secure in yourself. This is not about self-improvement. Self this is all about you putting your eyes on me and allowing me to, about me, working through your life. It's about being a willing vessel to work through your life. And let me empower you by the Holy Spirit to do my work through your life. That is what God's calling us to do. Let him do the work. We can do nothing apart from him. We know that in the scriptures. So he's sitting there with all these excuses and the judge is coming on and yet God says, you know, 
you know, how, how does that sound, Moses? And he comes up with excuse number four. He says, hey, I don't, I'm not going to be very eloquent here. I'm not going to be able to speak to him. I'm very slow about this. I can't quite get the words out fast enough. They're not going to deal with this. But what is God's response to his excuse? Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who, man, who, who made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Therefore, now, there, now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So he comes and makes it very clear. He takes the excuse away on this one as well. He says, who gave you the mouth? I created that mouth. I can get that mouth to say whatever I want it to say. The, the mute? I created the mute. I have a purpose and a plan for the mute. The one who, who, who's deaf? Who cannot hear? I'm, I made, I, that's my doing. I can use it for my purpose. I have great plans for that person who can't hear or cannot see. I am the one in control of this person's life. And I can bring glory to me through and through that person, that child's life. That adult's life who are sitting there as people see us as a disabled. God doesn't see it as a disabled. God sees that as exactly who he can use for his glory and purpose. So all these excuses why you think you're limited in your physical abilities. God says that is exactly who I can use to accomplish the commission of your life. And God knows. If God can turn water into blood, then he is, able to, he is able to make Moses speak his word with power. Moses was making a mistake here of looking at himself instead of looking to God. The God who made us is able to use the gifts and the abilities that he has given you to accomplish the tasks that he has assigned to you to do for him. And anytime we come up with excuses why we can't do what God's called us to do, like Moses, all we're doing is, is we're just we're just putting a cloth of our pride, it's like a cloth that covers of us of our pride and unbelief in this shallow confession of weaknesses. God, I'm weak in this area. I, I can't do that for you. That's just pride and unbelief. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too this, I'm too that. That is just unbelief and pride. You must, and I must, like Moses, Trust by faith, not by sight, to do what God's going to do what, through your life. But God's going to continue to work on Moses here through even now excuse number five. His last excuse that, that Moses is going to throw out at God, and it comes after, five, after you ask five whys, you get to the root of the problem. After the fifth excuse someone gives you, 
you'll get to the root of the problem of the heart of the person. Look at what happens here. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Oh, he gets, he gets right into this, doesn't he? Oh my Lord. Sounds so Christian-y, doesn't it? So godly to say, oh my Lord. And then he says the excuse, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send someone else to do it, God. I don't want to do it. That's the excuse, the root of the heart of the problem of Moses is he was unwilling. It wasn't the fact that he couldn't speak. It wasn't the fact that he was concerned and afraid what they'll think of him. <laughs> and all of the other four excuses, the bottom line is he was unwilling at this point in his life, at 80 years of age, to do what God's called him to do. And he starts off by saying, my Lord, how hypocrisy, isn't it? To say that he's my Lord, but then you're disobedient and you don't do what your Lord tells you to do. Those do not go together. You, you understand that, don't you? Oh, my Lord, Moses calls him Lord, but refuses to obey his orders. We see that stated in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Some will say, Lord, Lord, but will not do what their Lord, their master has asked them to do. Sadly, most of us understand this attitude, don't we? Because we've gravely made those same mistakes in our life. But by the grace of God, he comes back and gives us another opportunity. I love this saying. I wrote it down many, many years ago when I first got saved, and it's stuck with me for so long. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. I'll say it one more time. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. We shouldn't be fooled. We shouldn't fool ourselves. And so he says, send somebody else. But notice this. It wasn't the fact that he, Moses lacked ability. He lacked availability. A willing availability to do what God's called him to do. That was his heart of his problem. And notice that God was not angry when Moses asked, who am I? How can I go there and tell him who am I? God didn't get angry over, him, over that. He didn't get, God didn't get angry over Moses when he said, who shall I uh, say sent me to you guys? God didn't get angry with that question or excuse. He wasn't even angry with Moses' disbelief of God's word and what God's word said to him. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And God said, no, they'll listen to you. But God didn't get angry over that excuse. He was not even angry when Moses falsely proclaimed or claimed that he had no, uh, didn't have ability to communicate with him. He wasn't a good speaker. 
God didn't get angry with him over that, 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 that excuse either. It's only when he revealed to God truly what his heart was like in attitude, he got, God got angry when Moses was just plainly unwilling to do what God had asked him to do. That's when God got angry. So what happened? Because Moses of unwillingness to do the things that he proclaims is his Lord. It's not that he's unable. He was able. We notice here in the verses that in verse 14 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is it not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and look. He is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. Verse 16. So he shall be your spokesman, to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take, his, take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. All right. You're unwilling? You're unwilling to do what I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to do. And telling you I'm going to be with you. I am able to not only give you a mouth, but I'm actually able to teach you and give you the words to say. And that doesn't phase you. You still come up with an excuse that I'm not going to go. Send someone else. But God didn't get, let him off the commission of what God has called on his life to do. So what happened is, is he says, okay, here comes your brother, Aaron. He can speak. I'll use him, but notice God didn't say, I'll talk to Aaron myself personally and give him the message, and he's going to go tell. No, no, no. God says, I'm still going to give you the words. You just have to be like God now and give Aaron the words I gave you. And oh, by the way, take that rod. You're still doing the signs. So you're still going to get involved here. And some people would say, oh, God, just let him off the hook. The excuses, he, God accepted his excuses, and God is going to just accept my excuses of why I can't do it. Aaron was not a solution. It was actually punishment of Moses. Now, if you know the scriptures, and we're going to get there in the next year or so, but we'll get to the scriptures here. When God brought Aaron to help lead with Moses, it was an expression of his chastising or punishment to Moses because of his unbelief and unwillingness. It was not an approval for Moses. Aaron becomes a tremendous problem to Moses and to his people. You know the scriptures. Aaron became such a problem. Remember, in Exodus 32, in the very beginning of chapter 32, Aaron is the one that instigated the worship of the golden calf. 
He's the one who took the gold and molded it down and fashioned the calf himself and built the altar himself for the people to worship this false god. Oh, that's a great assistant pastor to have alongside you, isn't it? But then look at Aaron's sons. His sons turned out just like the father. His sons blasphemed God with an impure offerings in Leviticus chapter 10. And at one time in Numbers chapter 12, we see Aaron and Miriam, the sister, was critical and openly led a mutiny against Moses himself. And as these events unfold, Moses surely looked back on this and said, Oh my goodness, why did God allow Aaron to come with me? Be very, very careful. Just because Aaron's a smooth talker and seems so eloquent with his words, and it just seems to tickle your ear as you listen on the internet. Be very careful of what is spoken. Be very careful of that teacher. Just like here, whatever I say, you go back, like a Berean, you go back to the word and you test all things based on the word of God, what I say. You've heard me say that many, many, many times. But why is it that when you find someone who tickles your ear on the internet you, or read a book and it seems someone, a best friend gave you a book, oh you, need to, oh, you need to read her, that you do not test the things that you're listening and reading and even though they clearly go against the word of God. Be very careful, my brothers and sisters, of what you digest. Be very careful of who you listen to. But we see here, as God's sitting here and he's working in and through this, 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 this life of Moses and he questions and he doesn't go with what God has called him to do to be the, the spokesperson for God. That was the commission from God was to Moses, not to Aaron. We must remember this, that the will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot enable you to do. And it can't enable you so you walk by faith in His promises. Again, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you to do by faith, by His promises that He gives you to do. So what happens? How did Moses respond to that piece of the excuse? Verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now I like this for a couple of reasons. Some people may say, oh, it's another excuse. Maybe the father-in-law will get me out of this. I don't see that. I don't think this is excuse number six at all. Why? Because God didn't respond with an answer to that excuse. 
I truly believe he did exactly what he should do in his responsibilities. He didn't get some emotion and says, I don't feel like doing this, and I just quit and walk away. Like an irresponsible person. You recognize when you quit and you just walk away with no, with no notice or no nothing, that's childish and it's irresponsible because what it needs to be is there's got to be a transition. He had a responsibility. He was an employee of that employer, her, his father-in-law, who took care of the sheep. He had a ministry to take care of the sheep. He can't just walk and drop it off because you feel like that's what God's called you to do. God doesn't do that in ministry. He doesn't do that. You have a transition. You need to let. He had the responsibility in those days to go to his father-in-law and say, hey, is it okay? I'm asking for your permission because I need to go do this. And, and I want to make sure you understand there's going to be a transition here. Can you? Yes, you need to go. Now, we don't know. We don't see anywhere where Moses tells Jethro the reason why he's going to Egypt. And how long he's going to be. Oh, what he's going to do. He just says, I need to go check to make sure they're still alive. And Jethro said, yes. Go in peace. Meaning he gave his blessing for him to go. He gave his blessing. So what happened? In verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses and Median, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. So if you had that concern, Moses, that these people who are headhunting for you and had a wanted poster, they're all dead. No one even knows you. It's been, it's been 40 years. Don't worry about that piece. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. I'm sure there was more than one donkey. Can you imagine them all scrunch on one little donkey? But there was probably you know, two kids and a, and a wife on a donkey. It could have been. But... But they were on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God. There, there's the rod that shepherd's hook he had in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all of those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if, you, but if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. We see here in this section the sovereignty and the foreknowledge of God Almighty. We see that God's giving direction to Moses that says, I'm giving you insight of exactly how Pharaoh's going to respond to this command to let his people go. That Pharaoh is going to harden his heart, and we see in the scriptures, sometimes it's God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, here in verse 21, but sometimes he says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, Exodus chapter 8, verse 15, when we get there. And sometimes it was simply Pharaoh's heart was hardened without saying who, hidden, who hardened the heart. We see that in Exodus chapter 7. But God's showing with his foreknowledge and understanding how someone's going to respond to what God's called him to do. That God has said, by you ask him to do this, he's going to harden his heart. 
I'm going to, by, by giving you these words to tell him and showing these signs, it's going to harden his heart. I know it will. Remember in chapter 3, he said that it was going to take a heavy hand, a corrective hand of God to get to the, his people to be let go. Remember? So Moses knew this, and, and God is reinforcing this to him that this was going to take place. But you're going to be even more clear to him. You're going to tell Pharaoh that the people here, the Israelites, these two to three million people, is like a son to me. And you're going to let that son go. And if you don't let that son go, my firstborn leave, like I'm asking you, then it's going to be just like that is going to happen to you. Your firstborn son will be killed. And we know that for a fact because when we get to the ten plagues, what is the last plague, the tenth plague? The firstborn son dies. So God came through. He said what he says. He's going to do what he says, right? His yes is his yes, his no is his no. That, this, this is God. So what happened next? So he says in verse 24, we had this little interesting moment. It's kind of like before he goes out to Egypt to free them, to bring them into the desert, God has to do a final preparation for that leader to be able to be qualified to go. Look what happens. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. What? Didn't God just give him all the directions of what he's going to do? And you're going to go talk to the Israel leaders and you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and this. But then God is, got him in a, 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 a stranglehold and he's cutting off his air. And he's going to kill him? He sought to kill him? Why? Right there, verse 25. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. Remember, he had two sons, Jerusalem and Eliezer. Two sons. We don't know which son got chop-chopped. We don't know which. It was the youngest one or both. We just said, son, chop, chop. She's going to circumcise that guy with the sharp stone. Historically, it's called a flint, a very sharp rock, right? So what happens? He, and, and she took, after she chop, chop that foreskin, she took that skin and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, God, let him go. So God freed him from that chokehold or some kind of something. And then she said, you're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. <laughs> oh, ladies, I hope you're hearing this, this message for you. And men. There are times where God has a commission from him on a man's life to do something for God. And it goes completely against you as a wife in your innate natural security, logic, understanding. It completely goes against your fiber of who you are as a woman. That God is calling your husband to do something for God that goes completely against what you, you, you just don't understand. 
Let me gently say, be in tremendous prayer for your husband if God has a calling on his life to do something for the Lord. And don't hinder him in moving and taking steps of faith to do what God's calling and showing him to do. It's your absolutely yes. Look, honey, can you show me in the word where God has shown you this is what he's asked you to do? Can you show me his voice? Because remember, God speaks to you by his word. And husbands, don't sit there and respond to your wives and say, I just got a feeling. Because you know how we are. We, we dream a lot, don't we, guys? We say a lot of dreams out loud, and our wives look at you, and I am going. Now, mature wives stay silent. They just say, oh, honey, you're so sweet. Let me, I'll be praying for that. The ones, if you're not quite there yet, ladies, you'll look at your husband and say, you're out of your mind. That is not happening. And it deflates your husbands. You know, that it, it really, that it's a form of disrespect for a husband. So I just ask you, just patiently, say, thank you for sharing that with me. I'll be praying for you and what God is showing you. I'd really be interested in show, show me, share with me the words from the word of God that confirm for you this is what you believe, this is what God. And if it's God shows you, I am all with you, sweetheart. I'm with you. I want you to be in the will of God. I want you to be used by God in a mighty way. Zipporah obviously did not like God's commandment of circumcision. She didn't like it at all. And it, it obviously very clear to me, and probably to you, that Moses was not quite ready to be the leader that God needed him to be because he was being disobedient to going against God's word and he did not circumcise his son or sons like he should have. And it wasn't until God had him in a chokehold and it was about to kill the man that Zipporah said, I don't kill my husband, I'll do it. And chop, chop. And then, but she still didn't accept it, did she? She really didn't accept it. She grudgingly accepted that she needed to do that to spare her husband's life. And she threw that and called that husband, you're just a blood. You're just, you're just a blood of, because it's just, it's your blood on your hands. It's just, oh, you can, you can imagine what she was saying. Why is this important? Because as a leader of the home, as a leader of, in charge of a ministry or in charge of God's people, we know there's qualifications to be a leader. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, where the man must manage his own family well as one of the qualifications before he can even do it. Why? Because in verse 5 it says, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So one of the qualifications is a man must have his house running well. The wife should not be running the house and dictating what will and will not happen. You work together and you recognize God is going to put a calling on not only the husband, but also the wife's life as well. There's a commission on the wife's life to do something for God. And we must encourage one another. We must know that it's a word of, the word of God is speaking and confirming what God's called you to do. And you must keep the priorities that we studied in the scripture before. How God has 
responsibilities in the family, and we must understand those responsibilities, but ultimately God holds the husbands responsible for it all. I, if I was a wife, I'd be thank, thanking God that it's not going to be let, rested on your head. It rests on your husband's head. It should give you tremendous security and peace about that. But then we get back to the story of the Moses moving on to Egypt. What happens in verse 27? And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God, that remember mountain of, of Horeb, and, and, and he kissed him. So there was a, some cordial greeting of the two brothers. They were obviously in good space together. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses, right? And Moses gave to Aaron. Then he did, then he did the signs in the sight of the, of the people. So Moses did the signs of the, in sight of the people so that the people believed. Just like God said he, they would. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. Now imagine. Here's a people 430 years in Egypt, not hearing from God for four, over 400 years. And then someone shows up on the scene. Clearly, God has given them signs to make it very clear to them that God has heard their cries and is now here to rescue them and bring them out of Egypt. And they brought this man, Moses, to be the leader to help them and guide them out. And that brought them to a point of worship. Brought them to the point of bowing their heads and worshiping God Almighty. Why? Because God has revealed himself once again clearly to his people. God said, okay, I can do what I need to do right through your life, Moses. But if you want Aaron involved, fine. But I'm going to keep my promises. I said I was going to bring my people out. I said I'm going to take them to the promised land ultimately. With or without you, Moses. In this case, I want you there because that's what I've commissioned you to do. But I'll, I'll bring Aaron involved here. And it happened just as God said. God had promised that they will heed your voice. And sure enough, they heeded, they listened, and they accepted what Moses had to say. And imagine what transformation has taken place in Moses' life because 40 years prior, he was rejected by the same people. And now he's being accepted. Now is the time. Now is the circumstances are right and God's destiny, God's commission from God for Moses' life would begin to be fulfilled as we continue in this historical teaching. But God is a God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? And God is, works in the same kind of ways in our lives. What is it that God has spoken to you by his word commissioning you to do for him? Does he commission you to be a prayer warrior for him? 
where you just devote your life to such prayer and lifting and interceding for other people? Because physically, you literally cannot pick something up or go do something, but you can be that prayer warrior. Maybe you say, I can't teach children. Are you, are you kidding me? And God says, who made your mouth? I can, I can work through a humble life to teach children my word. Whatever it may be. How do you serve God here, but also you're, you're serving God out where? Where God is calling you to work. He's, you've got a rod. You've got something you're doing. You work. How can God use that work for his glory? And for his purpose. Amen?